It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia, a one-topic Rico Bronia, and that, of course, is Jacob DeGrom. Uh, it, it seems as if we've all just accepted the fact that Jacob DeGrom is gone. We've all just accepted the fact that he hates New York. His wife hates New York. His kids don't want to grow up in New York. And it's almost like this accepted reality that Jacob DeGrom is going to pitch for another team, probably the Atlanta Braves. And while all that stuff may be true and where there is smoke, there is fire. I am not going to just accept that fate. So today on Rico Bronia, we'll talk about all the aspects of Jacob deGrom, re-signing Jacob deGrom, what it would cost, how to replace him if he is gone, and also the curious case of do Met fans like Jacob deGrom? And I want to start there because I'll tell you a quick story before we get to this athletic poll, which I know has caused some uproar among the Mets community. Jacob DeGrom became my favorite player because most Met fans disrespected him. That was really the origin of it. It goes all the way back to 2015. Joe and I were doing the midday show. Boomer and Cart were doing the morning show. And the big topic amongst Boomer and Craig, and I've told this story to Craig, so he's aware of it, was who should start opening day for the Mets in 2015. It was a big controversy. And obviously, it's more of a symbolic thing, but nevertheless, it was a controversy amongst them. It was a controversy amongst Joe and I, Mike Francesa, and really all around the radio station. And the debate kind of became Matt Harvey, who had missed the previous year due to Tommy John surgery, but obviously had burst onto the scene with that just absolutely incredible 2013. We all know about how great Matt was, starts the All-Star game, and then the devastating news that he needs Tommy John surgery. So side number one was Matt Harvey. And then side number two was the guy who ended up starting opening day, Bartolo Colon. So it, it was controversial because a lot of Met fans said, come on, it's got to be Matt Harvey, Matt Harvey, the dark night, he's coming back. How is it not Matt Harvey? And the Mets obviously were kind of pushing back with Bartolo Colon as the safe veteran option. And what I never understood about the debate is how the real answer wasn't discussed. To me, the guy was Jacob DeGrom. And I wasn't saying it because he was my favorite player. At the time, he wasn't my favorite player. He was a guy who burst onto the scene as a rookie, made his major league debut in the Subway Series against the Yankees. And little did I know his first major league start will be a sign of things to come. He pitched against the Yankees, pitched seven innings and allowed one run. He lost one nothing. And you just, 
You can't make it up. But DeGrom had a great rookie season. And what was not to like, obviously, the the flowing hair, uh, the dashing good looks. But more than that, he was another example of how things were changing for the Mets. We knew Matt Harvey was on his way back. Uh, Zach Wheeler at the time existed. We had heard about Noah Syndergaard. We had heard about Steven Matz. And so DeGrom was just another example of how the Mets were changing. And you could feel how things were turning around for this franchise. So when that debate was occurring, I kept screaming at Joe, I don't understand why DeGrom's not the answer. And Joe never had a great response for it other than, yeah, no, no, bro, no, DeGrom's fine. And that was it. DeGrom is fine. DeGrom is fine. He's okay, but he's not sexy. And so that's really where this all began for me, that I didn't understand why DeGrom wasn't a part of the opening day discussion. Okay, DeGrom then goes out and has a really good 2015, as does Matt Harvey, as does Noah Syndergaard, who's called up halfway through the season, as does Steven Matz. But it's accepted that the ace of the New York Mets is Matt Harvey. While, yes, Matt had a great, comeback season from Tommy John. He did have his controversies mixed in, whether it was he's going to be shut down before the playoffs or missing the workout in 2015. There were controversies around Matt, but Matt wasn't the best pitcher for the New York Mets in 2015. It was Jacob DeGrom. And I could sit here and bore you with those stats. I'm not. You remember DeGrom was their best pitcher. And ultimately, Terry Collins made the choice that was right. Jacob DeGrom started game one of the National League Divisional Series. Jacob DeGrom started Game 5 of the National League Division Series. We all know what happened. Jacob DeGrom, to me, was the unquestioned ace of the New York Mets. The following season, obviously, Matt comes back down to earth. Matt Harvey has his injury injury problems, which unfortunately begin. And, And something weird happened. All of a sudden, Noah Syndergaard became the ace. Noah Syndergaard became the apple of people's eyes. He didn't have just long flowing hair like Jake. He had blonde, low flowing hair and he had a nickname. He was Thor. And look, Jake did not have the greatest 2016 because it ended with injury. And I accept that. He had a bad start against the San Francisco Giants in August, had a couple of really bad starts in a row that brought up his ERA. And eventually, much like a lot of guys in that rotation, he was done for the rest of the season. But it now became accepted by Mad fans that Noah Syndergaard was the ace of this team. And while DeGrom did miss the last month of the year, I still looked at Jake's track record of 2014 and 2015 and said, he's the best pitcher. Why is he so disrespected? Why do Met fans not love him? And I never understood it. And now, obviously, 2017 comes around. He has a very solid year in 2017. Went out through a lot of innings. Didn't have a dominant year, but a solid year. And still, DeGrom's liked, but he's not loved. But where it really came to head was in 2018. Jake cut the hair off and had one of the single most dominant seasons we've ever seen. And I went to City Field every five days and I saw Jake and there was no buzz when Jacob DeGrom pitched. There was no electricity when Jacob DeGrom pitched. And honestly, there never really was until real recently. Met fans have never loved Jacob DeGrom. I stand by that. So when I get DMs and tweets over the last 24 hours saying, oh my God, can you believe this athletic poll? Jacob DeGrom is the favorite player of Met fans among 3% of Met fans. Is that what the poll said, Hoff? Because you showed it to me too. I got tweets about it, but the first person who showed it to me was you, Pete. What are the numbers on this for Jake? 
if if I'm correct, it was three point eight percent for Jake, and Max was like two point nine. Which I, after <laughs> a bad outing in the playoffs, I totally respect that. But three point eight for your freaking ace, come on. And look, it dropped a lot from the previous year. So obviously, three percent is way too low. But I stand by my thesis, my little beginning to this podcast. He's never been loved. Never was. Never was as loved as Matt Harvey. Never was as loved as Noah Syndergaard. And even while he was doing what he was doing in 2018 and 2019, not his fault, it never had Doc Gooden buzz. It never had Matt Harvey buzz. And as great as Harvey was in 2013, what DeGrom did in 18 was better. And yet, it never had that buzz. So, why are only 3% of Met fans calling Jacob DeGrom their favorite player? Because most Met fans, not all. I know that there are some people listening to this saying, Evan, I love Jacob DeGrom. Obviously, we're talking about the grand scheme of things. I know I'm not the only person that loves Jacob DeGrom. Trust me. And maybe you have seen what I've just described over the years and have wondered about it too. But it's not surprising to hear that DeGrom's favorability amongst Met fans isn't skyrocket high because quite frankly, Pete, I don't think it was ever skyrocket high, even when he was dominating in 2018 and 2019. That's embarrassing because we were so offended when one person in San Diego didn't vote him the Cy Young that one the first year. We were offended <laughs> right. that that he didn't go back to back to back Cy Young awards. You know, we're offended that the Mets offense can't score him runs. Like you said, the first game we pitched, we gave up one run versus the Yankees. That's been his MO for basically his entire career. When he's on, he's lights out, and the Mets don't score for him. And we get upset as Mets fans for that. Yeah, we don't love him. I'm sorry. Those two are that that's kind of embarrassing and I don't I don't disagree at that moment when a poll comes out and a lot of Mets fans who are a soured on the season and b choke it up to the fact that he's gone yeah why the percentage is so low yeah and that's a big part of it so what the athletics poll said was that in January of this past year DeGrom was the favorite Met among 73 percent of fans which I got to tell you, I find it really hard to believe because of all the things I laid out. Like, I think DeGrom has been liked by Met fans, but there was always somebody that was better in their eyes, whether it was Noah Syndergaard or it was Matt Harvey. I do think, though, that that number being 3% has a lot to do with this acceptance, this acceptance that DeGrom has gone. And I want to make something clear. Jacob DeGrom may hate New York and leave. Like, I'm not disputing that. I'm not saying it isn't true. I've heard the same rumblings that everyone else has heard, that he doesn't want to live here anymore. His wife doesn't want to live here anymore. And by the way, and I know this is another podcast for another day, if that's the truth, and that's why Jacob deGrom leaves, it's going to be tough to hate him. You know what I mean? Like, it's very difficult to hate somebody because they and their family don't want to live here. And by the way, before anyone brings up Mike Hampton, let me make something clear about what happened with Mike Hampton. Met fans or myself, we weren't angry at Mike Hampton for preferring a school system. We thought it was bull crap. That was the problem. Mike Hampton, if memory serves correct, was offered more money by the Colorado Rockies. Okay? He accepted it, which is his business. And his line of, 
it was the school system was not us mocking the school system or us mocking him having a family. It was us mocking the fact that he was lying to us. Jacob DeGrom, in my opinion, and we'll get to the details on this, will have to take less money to leave the New York Mets. I really believe that. I trust Steve Cohen. I believe he wants Jacob DeGrom back. I believe he thinks that it's important to have career Mets, which I'll also get to in a little bit. So I think if Jake leaves, he's going to have to leave money on the table. And if he does, I'll be devastated, but I'll respect it. It's it's one of those things. It's it's t- You're shaking your head off. Are you going to curse out DeGrom if he turns down more money to go somewhere else because that's where he wants to live? No, no, not at all. What I'm shaking my head is that we're talking about a guy who has stated he wants to opt out of his contract. Why? Because more money, right? Slash two of the people on his team. One is the Mets rep- representation of Francisco Lindor. The other is Max Scherzer, who's like the head of the, the players union, right? He, he's one of the biggest the uh, representatives of the union. The guy, not saying he came to the Mets solely because they gave him the most money, but that's one of the main reasons he came sure. to the Mets. So sure. you have two guys that you're basically going to, you, you see on a daily basis and you're going to say, Guys, I'm sorry, I'm not that type of dude. I'm going somewhere else. Good luck. Like that's a slap it, in the face to 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 the union. Sure, sure. No, no, you're not wrong. But forget the union for a second. As a fan, and I'm not saying this as a fanboy. I want to grow back. How do you not respect that? I mean, just just as a human, like if he ends up having to take less money, and God willing, it's not the Atlanta Braves. Obviously, it's the Texas Rangers or wherever. Don't you have to say, wow, I'm disappointed. I love New York or I love New Jersey. But, wow, that takes a lot of balls that he is turning down all that money to leave. And you're right. It does kind of leave his fellow player down because you want to set that bar as high as humanly possible. But if that's ultimately the decision he and his family make, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be tough to hate him. It's kind of it's not the same scenario at all, but it's kind of like the Rick Reed scenario when he was he was part of the uh, when when the baseball was on strike, he played with the with you know the non union players and whatnot, but he was able to keep a job. And I, if I'm correct, a lot of union players, a lot of MLB players, yeah, they were mad like at him, him because he was a replacement player. It's funny, you know who left the Mets and took less money because he wanted to go home, and there's no ill feelings towards him. Now, granted, he's not a career Met the way Jake is, so it's it's different. And he didn't go to a rival. So, obviously, Jake going to a rival would be a problem, is John Olerud. John Olerud wanted to live in the state of Washington. He took less money. He signed with the Mariners after the 1999 season, and no Met fan has ill feelings towards him. So, look, I I think how this plays out, uh, if it is taking less money, if it is the Atlanta Braves, would all be a factor here. But I'm not just going to accept it. I'm not just going to. This podcast isn't accepting that Jacob DeGrom is gone. It's, hey, how aggressive should this franchise be in keeping him? And one thing that matters to me, and I know that it may not matter to everybody listening, is the idea of a career Met, the idea of a Hall of Fame career Met. David Wright was a career Met. He had a chance to be a Hall of Famer. Unfortunately, injuries took that away from him. Tom Seaver, who obviously I didn't get to see pitch. I'm too young, but we've all heard the stories. Is one of the great pitchers of all time. And one of the biggest mistakes made by not just Tom Seaver, because he wanted out too at that point, 
but obviously this organization was trading him. And it's still talked about as one of the most devastating moments for many of the older Met fan. I would want for our generation to have a guy who spends his whole career with one team. And Jake has publicly said that means a lot to him. Now, does that override his family saying we don't want to live here? I don't know. I hope it does. (laughs) No offense to his family, but Jacob deGrom has said playing for one team is really cool. Being a career Met would be really, really cool. And for me, and I think for a lot of us listening, we really don't have that. Our our friends who are Yankee fans, they do have that. Mariano Rivera is a career Yankee, and he's a first bout Hall of Famer. Derek Jeter is a career Yankee, and he's a first bout Hall of Famer. And then they've got plenty of other guys that aren't first bout Hall of Famers, but are career Yankees. Bernie Williams is a career Yankee. Jorge Posada is a career Yankee. Our list is short. It's very short, especially if you want that guy to be a Hall of Famer. Then the list doesn't exist. Then there is no list. So maybe this matters more to me and you, Pete, than maybe some other Met fans, the younger Met fan, maybe not even the younger Met fan, the more bottom line Met fan who says, I don't care. I want to win. I don't want to risk spending all this money on a 35-year-old that barely pitches. For me, I'm willing to take that risk more so on him than I am some free agent that hasn't done it for our team. Him being a career Met is a big deal. Now, if Jacob DeGrom ends up in the Hall of Fame, he's wearing a Met hat. It's done. That, that, that is not changing. There's no way he's going somewhere else and doing more for them than he's done for the Mets. That would be crazy. He'd go down as one of the great pitchers of all time if he pulls that one off. That's not happening. So, yeah, I accept that if DeGrom, even if it's the Braves, signs with Atlanta, and ends up in Cooperstown, he's got a Met hat on and probably has his number retired. But that's not enough for me. That's not enough. What I want is career Met. And so that's a factor here, at least in my mind, because we haven't had anything like that in our lifetime for the most part. David Wright's the closest thing, and unfortunately, David ain't going to the Hall of Fame. So the career Met aspect is a huge deal for me. Uh, I you said something though that's even bigger to me. Career career met is huge, but that's only like on the, uh, you know, on the surface level of like when you walk into the stadium, you see Degrom, you see his number, you see all his you know plaques and whatnot. That's really cool. It's for the history and stuff like that. But you know what would be really nice for for the history is a freaking World Series championship. And if Jacob Degrom leaves, like you said, everyone, all I want to do is win. How are you going to win with this pitching staff? And that's a debate we're going to get to in a second. But like, yeah. I look at it, and it's that it's tough to to fix this this pitching staff without Jacob Degrom being at the yeah. The, that's the, the, the head of that's it. the other aspect, the, the the baseball aspect of it. And, <laughs> and I will say this: one last thing about his legacy before we do get to the the actual baseball part of it. Uh, for my money, he's the second greatest pitcher in the history of the franchise. I think he has passed Doc Gooden. Uh, I know one counter I'd always get about that would not just be 1985. 1985 was the greatest single season the Met pitchers ever had. I'd put it above Jacob DeGrom's 2018. So I respect what he did in 85, and he probably should have won the Cy Young as rookie season in 84 too. But one of the arguments I always get, Joe used to give me about Jake, is, well, they didn't win a World Series. Now, obviously, that's not necessarily on him. They blew game one. That's not on Jacob DeGrom. And my counter would be, had Doc do in the 86 World Series? And that's not a knock on Doc. That's just the reality. The answer is he did crappy. 
I'm not not to not to kill him because look, Jake did crappy in the 2015 World Series too. He pitched four no hit innings in Game Two, and they got bombed in Game Five. It's not a knock on Doc. It's more a reminder that the Mets not winning a World Series during Degrom's time here is not a slight on Jacob Degrom. That should not be the end all be all. I'm looking at the performance, and obviously. It's a different era. He's not pitching 270 innings the way Doc would be able to do it. But I do think in terms of the amount of years he was here, not as much as Doc, the consistency, the dominance, and multiple years of dominance, I think he passed him. I think it's close, but I think he passed him. And so I think you're talking about the second greatest pitcher in the history of this franchise. Because remember this, you have to judge people in the era they're in. It's not fair to use the standard of 1985 to say, well, Jake doesn't do this. And I would always say this to older baseball fans who like to make my day arguments. I'd say, well, you know what? If I was 120, I'd make a my day argument about how your guys are soft because they didn't pitch as much as Christy Mathewson. Would you want to hear that? And of course, it's like, oh, no, you can't say that. Well, every era is different. Like, obviously, the pitchers in the 60s are far different than the pitchers in the 80s who are far different than the pitchers of today. But every era, every generation is able to say, my era's better. We all have that arrogance. We're going to do it to our kids. The 90s were so amazing. (laughs) But there's always someone older who can say their era's better. So you're 70 and you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, well, let me tell you, that DeGrom's no Sandy Koufax. Well, my counter to you would be, with all due respect, Sandy Koufax and Christy Mathewson. And you wouldn't want to hear that. You'd say, well, that's stupid. Well, it's the same thing. We have to judge people in their own era. That's my point. I once wrote a term paper, (laughs) and I got an A on it, by the way, comparing statistically, because it was a statistics class, comparing Pedro Martinez to Sandy Koufax. And it was fun. I had a lot of fun doing that. And I got an A on it, man. I wasn't the greatest student in the world. But I got an A. All right. Let's get to DeGrom. Uh, I can't believe you're going to skip over that. Hold on. Wait wait a second. Hold what? On. You want more info? Hold on. You, th- this is typical Evan right here. Hold on. We got to dive in. So you had a choice of doing anything, and that's how you chose to break down Sandy Colfax to who? Pedro Martinez. And explain to me a little bit more about this paper. Because this is well, outrageous. Had- this is a statistic class? It was a statistics class, and I don't remember specifically the parameters around the term paper. I just remember that I got the approval that my thesis was going to be <laughs> Sandy Koufax and Pedro Martinez are the same, but Pedro is slightly better. And what I did is I compared Koufax's league ERAs and his ERA to Pedro's ERA and the league ERA at the time, which really helped prove my point that pay. I also wrote a term paper that all religion is based on aliens. So I've done a term <laughs> paper like that too, by the way. By the way, but, but uh, on a serious note, that paper yeah. would be obsolete now because stats have changed completely and it would be. Oh, non- <laughs> oh I completely agree. It's the most outdated thing I've ever seen. <laughs> hey, speaking of, speaking of new age stats, war, which is a very, I know we have mixed views on war. Obviously I had a big problem with it this year with the way Alonzo was treated. Just a perspective. Jacob deGrom, is a, if, he, if he re-signs, now he'd have to re-sign, would pass Doc Gooden in war this season. He's like, like a quarter of a point away from Doc. And remember, Doc was a Met for a longer period of time and threw a hell of a lot more innings than Jake and made a hell of a lot more starts than Jake. So 
I don't know if that really proves my point about how great he is, but he is the second greatest pitcher in the history of the franchise, in my in my humble opinion. Um, let's attack the contract. Let's go to that. We both want him back. You're going to have to pay him a lot. In terms of other pitchers, because you always have to look at comparisons. Now, some of these are not going to be the perfect comparisons in terms of years, because there are a lot of pitchers who got mega long-term deals. DeGrom will turn 35 in June. So he's 34 years old right now. You sign him for next year. That's his age 35 season. Garrett Cole is kind of the standard bearer on this one. Garrett Cole at age um, 29 years old signed a nine-year $324 million deal. That averages out at $36 million per. That average per DeGrom is going to blow past. Obviously, Scherzer already has. So Cole is kind of the standard bearer on contracts in terms of length, nine years, 324. Obviously, Jake's not getting anywhere near the nine years. Steven Strasburg at age 31, okay, so four years younger, or about three and a half years younger than what Jake is right now, signed a seven-year, $245 million deal. That's an average annual of 35 per. And what I guess the reason I'm making a face when I say that is what's happened to that contract. I mean, Garrett Cole, you could argue, has been worth every dime. Guy goes out and makes every start every five days. I know maybe some Yankee fans aren't uh, pleased with his dominance, but you can't argue he's reliable. And that's why, look, I'd make this point to anybody. I think Garrett Cole's the most reliable pitcher in baseball. I really do. I think he's number one on that list. So when I look at nine years, 324, yes, he's got a lot more years left on that deal. So a lot can happen. But in the first three years of that deal, he's been worth every penny. The Strasburg one's a disaster. David Price, at age 30, signed a seven-year, $217 million deal. You're going to notice a pattern here. All these contracts suck after Garrett Cole. Chris Sale, and this is where it's going to get a little bit more realistic, is now we're going to cut down on these years a little bit. Chris Sale signed five years, 145, which is $29 million a year. Uh, Patrick Corbin, I don't think is very equivalent. He went six years, 140. Uh, Max Scherzer, and I think that's obviously the frame of reference that makes the most sense, signed a three-year, $130 million deal with the Mets. That's the $43.3 million per year. But remember this, Max signed it at age 37. DeGrom is 34, 35 in June. So him and his agent can look at that contract and say, okay, I like that money a little bit more. I don't want three years. I want more. The other, and I don't think it's equivalent, but in terms of years we should look at it, was the Trevor Bauer contract when he signed with a bunch of opt-outs, three years, $102 million. Verlander, Justin Verlander, who's a free agent, by the way, had a one-year $25 million deal this year. That is coming off of Tommy John surgery. In the past, Verlander had a two-year $66 million deal, and before that, a seven-year 180. I would say, based on all of those contracts I laid out, um, the average annuals are in the mid-30s for a lot of guys. Scherzer now has that record at 43.3. DeGrom's going to have to beat it. DeGrom's going to ask to beat it. So I think the starting point for this contract has to be $45 million or more. It's got to. I mean, I, I think when you sit down in a room with his agent, even though he only made 11 or 12 starts this season, he's going to show you the dominance. 
It's going to show you what he's done in 18, in 19, parts of 20, and certainly the first half of 21. And even if you're unsure about his health, which is a fair question, you can't question the dominance. You can't. And so that's why the starting point's got to be $45 million. It's why I kind of lean towards 50 as being the magic number. Where it gets dicey is years. That's where it gets dicey. The contract I would offer to Grom right off the top, or I, I guess not right off the top. Maybe when you negotiate, you got to offer something less. I don't know. I'm not an F around kind of guy. I want to get the deal done. I would try to get him on a three-year, $150 million deal which is same amount of years as max 50 per year. I would even be absolutely willing to give him opt outs. You know, he wants to opt out after a one year, $50 million deal thinking I just won the Cy Young. I can go get more at 35. Okay. I got no problem with that. I'm a fan of that. I was a fan of that with Cespedes because I think you're basically having a contract year every year, which was the old Charlie Finley idea that you're going to get the most out of players. Okay. You want to be a free agent? That's not the reason Charlie Finley necessarily had the idea. He wanted to flood the market with free agents, but I'm not against it. Since these opt-outs have become a thing, I've never been anti-opt-out. You just have to show restraint as a franchise. When CC Sabathia opts out, you don't have to give him a mega contract. When Alex Rodriguez opts out, you don't have to give him a mega contract. When Chris Sale opts out, you don't have to give him a new mega contract. You make the decision based on where you're at. Is three years 150 enough? That's question number one. But here's the real question. Is there a team out there that's going to offer more? Because that's really what this is about. You need to have the highest offer. And then you have to just leave it in the hands of the DeGrom family. This is the highest offer. No one can beat it. Is that enough for you to stay? Now, you got to beat a team by a decent amount. If he really wants to go to Texas, especially when you factor in taxes, you got to leave no doubt in this contract offer. That's what the Yankees did for Garrett Cole. That's what the Yankees did for CC Sabathia. And it's sort of what the Mets did for Max Scherzer. You can't leave that possibility of, yeah, it's good, but you know what? That one's close. So let me ask you this, Pete. Look around baseball. Is someone offering more than three years 150? Yes. Who? I think the Texas Rangers may. What are they offering? I would think that they'd probably go four for uh, if you say four for if you say three for one fifty, I wouldn't be surprised if they go four for like close to two, maybe one ninety. Mm. I'm willing to do it. By the way, I really oh, am because yeah. I, I look. I know that he's missed a lot of time, and that's obviously a legitimate concern. I can't minimize it. But I haven't seen enough in this second half. I know that there are, a Joe has certainly told me, even though Beningo's turned and that he wants to keep DeGrom, he has said, I don't think he's ever going to be the same. And I said to him, you're going to base that on 11 starts? Is that fair? Is it fair to look at what Jake did in his return, in which I would be the first to admit he was not his same dominant self? His first few starts, he looked pretty dominant. And then after that... He looked more like the 2016-2015 Jacob deGrom. A ballsy, I'll battle through it, but I'm also going to have some bad days. deGrom used to have bad days. He hasn't had them in years until this year. So he spoiled us. That game against the Oakland A's, let's not sugarcoat it. That was a bad day. 
And it happened at the worst possible time. Now, I don't think any of us with a straight face would say, oh, DeGrom can't take the pressure. That's why he sucked. No, it's not what happened. He had a bad freaking day. And he used to have bad days because he used to be a human pitcher. And then for about four years, he became Colfax on steroids. And he wasn't a human pitcher. I don't know if those 11 starts, even his playoff start in which he gutted out the six innings, I don't think that's enough evidence to firmly say he can't be the same guy. I think he can. Look, I think that there's some mystery around what he is. Can he stay healthy? Of course, that's a question. But you know what, Pete? It's a question with every pitcher in baseball not named Garrett Cole. It really Can Walker Bueller stay healthy anymore? No. Justin Verlander needed Tommy John surgery. Granted, he's getting older. Like, make your list of pitchers that you are so confident is going to be healthy and is going to be dominant. It's a freaking short list. That's why you have to take the risk sometimes. Well, and, and that's the point, though, too, is like you talk. We're talking about the Grom as like a what's too much money? What's this? What's that? What's everything? And then you actually look at the list of pitchers available and you go, oh, my God, I want nothing to do with any of these guys. Like, at least <laughs> committing. If you're going to commit money because they're all going to demand money, like, you may take some of these pitchers and get, like, two that are going to combine for 60 mil a year, maybe three for 70. Because you, you have a lot to deal with because Bassett's going to be gone potentially. Walker's going to be gone potentially. DeGrom, if he's gone, that's that's three starting pitchers potentially you're, you're losing. You're going to have to make up for that. Are they better than DeGrom by himself? No. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. No. This, Evan, off the bat, like I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. You say 3-150. Okay, cool. I'm saying this. 5-225, and we met, we give you an option after three years. Okay? We we, we front-loaded. So you still have the 3-for-150 three, three to begin with, and then the last two years, they, they, they equal out to the, the 225. And if that's not good enough, I'll even go F it. You know what? Five two fifty. Let's go lock it up. I don't care. Degrom needs to be on the Mets this for the next five years or three years or whatever. The window's no. small. The window's small. We don't have a big window. I'm sorry. No, no. And I'll tell you something else on why, even though on the surface giving him five years seems so crazy, why at the end of the day I would do it anyway. The point we made about ten minutes ago about a career Matt. We don't want him in another uniform. Well, if this guy wants to pitch till he's 40, why screw around then? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if if the whole idea is we want him to be a career Met, then F it. Here's the five years. I think what we have to keep in mind, and, and trust me, I respect that there's a lot of people listening that just aren't going to agree with that. Maybe they don't have the same emotional attachment. Maybe they don't think the career Met thing is as important, and that's fine. I, we respectfully disagree. I, I think that you've got to look at it and say, Money isn't an object with this owner, okay? So I'm not concerned about how much I'm giving him. And if I'm making the commitment that I want this guy to be a career Met till he's done pitching, then go all the way with it. Why would you be afraid of years? This isn't negotiating with a free agent who's never pitched for you. That's different. I think we all agree it's different. Max Scherzer getting his ass booed off the mound is proof that it's different. We have no loyalty to Max Scherzer. I have no loyalty to Kevin Durant. He didn't show me any loyalty, but there's a different feel towards the guys that, yes, are homegrown. I know we've had this discussion for many, many years, whether it's with Yankees, with Mets, you treat homegrown guys differently. I say you pay homegrown guys differently because I am okay 
paying for what someone did for my team. I don't like paying for something someone did for another team. And when you sign a free agent, no matter how good that guy seems in the moment, you're essentially paying for what they did for someone else. Max Scherzer winning a championship for the Washington Nationals does nothing for me. Jacob DeGrom winning two Cy Youngs for me and giving me some joy does something for me. And so I'd be less afraid handing out a big contract to my own. And it was always a critique I had about the Yankees. And I think Yankee fans had. They were in such a rush to pay for other people's guys. And they wouldn't take care of their own. I think even Derek Jeter may refer to it in the documentary. Like, look what I've done for you. So I'm less afraid if it comes down to it. And look, Jake's agent says to me, you want him to come back five years, 250. Yeah, I'd probably do it. And I'd take the risk. And his pair, his family can't say no to that, can they? I mean, $250 million for five years. I mean, come on, well, lock it up. Let's go. Uh, it's tough, uh, man. I'll, we'll, 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 listen, while you go play baseball, I'll travel the world for a little bit and call me in five years. Well, okay, let me let me push <laughs> this a little bit then because I don't think you expect this to come, but I'm going to bring it up. So a few years ago, a few years ago, more than a decade ago, I mean, years ago sometimes seems smaller. Roger Clemens, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was with the Astros, made a deal. And the deal was when I don't pitch, I don't have to be there. When I don't pitch, I'm going to go be with my family. Now, at the time, there was a, a negative feel towards that, saying, can you really do that? You know, baseball teams need to be together. You want to stick with the team. Can you really just disappear when you're not pitching? I remember Phil Jackson, uh, in one of the times he was thinking about coming back to coach the Lakers, once throughout, and I don't know if it was ever confirmed that he did this, but it was a rumor that Phil said, I only want to coach home games. And the Lakers are like, well, we you know, we really can't do that. If you either coach or you don't coach, <laughs> I remember. you really can't be a part-time guy. So you're sitting down with Jake, you're Billy Epler, you're Steve Cohen. And Steve says, look, we want you back. Money's not a problem. We want you back. And I say to you, look, I want to be a career Met too. I love being here. I really have no issue with the organization. It is very difficult living here. All right. It just is. My wife doesn't love it. My kids are growing up. Not a fan of it. If you cut me a deal where I'm not going to do it all the time, but I'm going to do it a lot of times. When I'm not starting, I'm going back to Florida. I want to spend three days with my kids and then I'll come back. I'll do my throw day. I know how to handle myself and I will never miss a start. You got nothing to worry about, but I don't want to travel with the team because I want to spend more time with my family. And if you guys can do that, I'll talk to my wife. I think we can make this work. Are you willing? And this is a tough one. I don't think this is very easy. Are you willing to make that deal? Hell, I'll give you six years. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I'm down. And, and, and Evan, let me tell you something. I, I, we talked about Tom Brady making what? Like missing like almost a, like a week or two of practice because of his family issues and not trying to get to family issues or whatever. Things, are, things happen behind the scenes that we don't know about. But Jacob DeGrom made a point when he was injured for this long period of time. He couldn't be with the team. He didn't feel right not being there. Was that the excuse, or was it that he wanted to be home with his family? And I'm not trying to downplay that at all, and I'm not trying to it, – it's not an insult. It is not an insult because guess what, dude? You're a family man. I'm a family man. You know what I would do for my family? I would do anything for my family. So yeah. I, I understand and respect it. It's not, it's not knocking him. So if that's what it takes 
dude, I don't care. If Jacob deGrom is a career Met and he retires as a Met, that's all I care about because that means to me we're going to be committed. There are two things. There are two negatives to a deal like that. And, and by the way, I've heard nothing of the sorts that he would even ask for that. I'm just bringing it up. Well, because... you should bring it. You should bring it up to Steve. Uncle Steve. <laughs> like, just in case he uh, offers, like, you know, says, I don't want to come here. Uh, offer that out there. I said, yeah, if he's as point blank. I just, I, I can't do it. Make that offer. Um, <laughs> I remember with Roger Clemens. And look, Roger Clemens is Roger Clemens and it's the Astros. I think it was with the Astros. I don't think it was with the Yankees, if memory serves correct. I think there are two potential negatives to a deal like that. It's why, as much as I want Jake back, I'm not just knee-jerk. Yes, give it to him. Number one, and this is less of a concern. I'll give you the bigger concern in a second. The lesser concern is you're opening yourself up to being killed by the fans. I'm telling you right now, that is you with any bad start. Oh, you're going home now, you piece of crap. You don't even want to be here. Like You open yourself up to major criticisms. Anytime you struggle. Now, does that really matter? Probably not. That's fodder for sports talk radio. It's fodder for fans who may scream that at you. Ultimately, that may not matter. The real key is your clubhouse and your locker room. And are you able to look Max Scherzer in the eye when you guys are breaking down pitching and Max was there all week and you were in Florida and now you show up a day before you start? Uh, I do tend to think chemistry in a locker room can be overrated. I think we overrate it sometimes when teams are playing well. Um, Look, the Mets all loved each other this year. Did that really help when they faced adversity and got swept by the Braves? Not really. So while I do think chemistry can be overrated, you don't want resentment in that room. And that would be my concern. So I don't know if you could pull 26 players. I'm not even saying that's the way to do it. But you would need key guys in that room to be on board with something like that. And I think Roger Clemens is different than Jacob DeGrom. No offense. I'm no fan of Roger Clemens, but I think at that point in his career, being in his mid forties, there was a respect for him that no one in baseball has right now. No offense to Jake. So I bring it up because it's interesting. I would have a very difficult time offering that though. And I say that as someone that loves Jake and would try to do everything to bring him back. I think you open up a lot of issues with something like that. I think the way to bring him back is to A, convince him being a lifetime Met is a big deal, and number two, offering the most money and most security that another team can would offer. And that's what you've got to do because I think Texas is a great example, Hoff, as a team that would do it. They paid so much for Corey Seager and so much for Marcus Simeon, and they absolutely need pitching. So I think Texas is a major threat. I wonder about the Braves. You know, we're all scared of the Braves, but – They've locked up a lot of guys over the years. Max Freed is a free agent at the end of next season. Like, are they able to give DeGrom that kind of contract and then keep Max Freed? By the way, if they don't, hello, Max Freed, I'll take you. Now, it's a consolation prize because I would prefer to keep DeGrom, but I wonder about Atlanta. While DeGrom may have an interest in going there, And while fans have assumed that makes the most sense, I just don't know financially if they would be in the ballpark of the offer that I suggested. I think Texas would. I don't know about the Astros. You know, the Astros lose Justin Verlander. Are they making that offer? So if you accept, all right, maybe Atlanta's not making the offer and Houston's not making the offer. Is it just Texas? I don't think the Dodgers are making that offer, nor do I think LA is a place he would want to live. And look, I don't mean this is any knock to the Yankees, 
if they lost Aaron Judge to San Francisco, I don't think they have a chance at DeGrom because DeGrom doesn't want to be in New York. So if he's staying in New York, it's probably just to be a career Met, not to sign with the Yankees. So I try to shape up the competition, and it looks like Texas, I agree. I don't know what else or who else would be in that ballpark. Well, this is dumb, but like seeing who Jacob DeGrom is, like, and I'm not trying to put it all on the wife, but like, say if they just like a certain area of the country and that team offers them a contract that maybe not be like, you know, 45 million a year, but like, whatever, like Pittsburgh or Cleveland or someone like Milwaukee comes out of nowhere and says, we can't give you all this. Maybe we could defer money or whatever it is down the line. Would you be willing to come here for a few years? I mean, that's a, like you just never know. If that's the type of mentality they have, they just want to get out of the big city feel. And that's always a can't freaking Kansas City could do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but look, I know any time, any moment, a team could offer big money. I, I, how much money is he willing to turn down just to get out of New York? And That's- by the way, by the way, he's got deferred money for uh, what I, I looked at. I forgot the exact amount now, but like I think in like when he's like forty-seven years old, he's got like three or four years of deferred money coming his way. Am I wrong about that? No, I think he was in that contract that the Wilpons gave him. They were always a fan of deferred money. Yes, yeah, so, about yes, the time. I think, yes. Look, I, I get that Degrom has more money than maybe he'll ever need, than his family will need. So I know that that's easy to say, well, of course he'll turn down money. You rarely see athletes turn down significant money. It's just, it's not, it's not that common to see something like that. So I think that's going to be the real test. I do trust that the Mets are going to try really hard to bring him back. I do trust that. And, and now and we I get want, to this. Yeah, go I ahead. Want, I, want, I want to throw one more thing because you named something that was really huge and we never hear about this. But you said, well, not that we never hear, but we we always talk about it. Can players play in New York? You know, if you're a guy that can actually perform in New York, it's huge. I was talking to somebody today. I was telling you off off air about this, but we were talking about the Mets situation. He's current ball player. He plays plays in the bigs. I have no idea why he was asking me these questions, but he asked me about the Mets, and then he started telling me about the issues with Mets and disliked what they did with the platoon. Said. Did not like the matchups and platoon guys uh, that you got. A lot of swing and misses and guys that couldn't handle New York. Like, that's freaking – think about that. Players know that they can't handle New York. Sure. The Grom can. Why are we even contemplating letting the guy walk away? Because he may want to walk away. I, We're not, I'm not contemplating – <laughs> I'm not contemplating DeGrom can't handle New York. He can't handle New York. I mean – I would say, though, about Jake, he's one of the few athletes that's never been booed in this town. You know, we always hear this knee-jerk. Everyone gets booed in New York. Jeter was booed. Yeah, no, I heard Derek Jeter. Get Max Scherzer got booed off the mound on the Friday start in the playoffs. 100%. I felt embarrassed. I felt embarrassed Ma- by that. Well, he, he pitched like crap. He sucked. <laughs> he sucked. <laughs> I've seen almost everyone get booed in this town. Like Mike Piazza booed in this town. Patrick Ewing booed in this town. All that. Jacob DeGrom's never been booed in this town. He really hasn't. Because... There's never been a need nobody, to. Nobody shows he's up to been... Bo. <laughs> well, it's not even that. He hasn't. <laughs> he's never given you a reason to boo. Like, think about it. Think about a defining start he made. Now, granted, the Mets had a lot of bad years uh, in the midst of DeGrom's career, but there was never a moment in 14 as a rookie. There was never a moment in 15. 
There hasn't been a moment the last few years, even at City Field, as he looked more human when he gives up the home run to O'Neill Cruz, the three-run home run of the Pirates. Like he just he's one of the few athletes that's never been booed in this town. With that said, yeah, he can handle New York. Yeah, he can handle the pressure. But it's not about that. It's about does he want it? Uh, I would assume and I would advise Billy Epler and Steve Cohen, not that they need my advising, you should want it. And the reason you should want it and the reason you should take every risk in giving him a mega contract to keep him is because of the alternatives. And I'm deathly afraid that we're going to do a podcast in a few weeks in which we're talking about replacing Jacob DeGrom. And that's a scary, scary thing. Max Scherzer is under contract. I think there are certainly questions about what he's going to be over the next two years, really based on two starts and breaking down, based on the fact he had a tough time staying healthy this year, and based on the fact that his last two starts against the Atlanta Braves and then the San Diego Padres were just awful. And so in our head, we're looking at this man saying, is he breaking down? Is he breaking down physically? And can he ever consistently be the guy he was, not even 10 years ago, but two years ago? There's a major question on the return of Chris Bassett, and if you'd even want to bring him back, considering his ability to handle New York. Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker are fine back-of-the-rotation guys if you want to keep them. I definitely think David Peterson deserves a chance. I think Tyler McGill deserves a chance. You could even argue bringing back Trevor Williams, maybe he deserves a chance. But the Mets don't have high-end top pitching prospects that are coming anytime soon. They don't. Matthew Allen is still years away. They are not equipped to internally replace top-of-the-rotation arms. Unless you want to tell me Tyler McGill is stunning us and becomes a top-of-the-rotation arm or David Peterson. So then you look at free agency. There is very little in free agency that's appealing. Carlos Rodon is a guy I know you liked and wanted the Mets to target. He's 30 years old. He had a relatively healthy year this year for San Francisco and had a tremendous year. Is Carlos Rodon a nice addition to this rotation? Absolutely. He is not a top-line starting pitcher or a guy I can rely on to be a top-line starting pitcher. And then you get to a guy that I'm telling you right now, I believe the New York Mets will target. I believe this. I've heard rumblings that this man will be a target if they lose Jacob DeGrom. And I have nothing but respect for this man. He is a legendary pitcher, and he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. But he's old, and so is Max Scherzer. And while... We don't know if Jacob DeGrom's wife wants to live in New York. We certainly know this man's wife wants to live in New York. And that, of course, I think I dropped every hint. That, of course, is Justin Verlander. And I I just, I don't know, man. Verlander wants to pitch till he's 45. He said that during the ALCS against the Yankees. He said it to um, Lawrence Jihadi, I think. I want to pitch till I'm 45. And that's great. I admire that. I really do. I don't think there's anything wrong with a guy saying, I want to play forever. Greg Maddox wanted to play forever. He was a mediocre pitcher for the last seven years of his career. God bless him. But can you really sign Verlander and build your rotation on Verlander and Scherzer in 2023? It scares me. It's scary. Look, you get Verlander on a one-year deal as a, all right, we lost the ground. Let's bridge it to the following year. I guess, like, I'm I'm not going to be against that. 
if that's the case, as a bridge one-year deal, sure. And I have faith that Verlander can handle New York, by the way. I'm not, not even worried about that. It's more, is he going to break down? I mean, we can look at Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer breaking down at the same time. So let's start with that, Hoff. Rodon Verlander as DeGrom replacements. Your thoughts? I feel like we're going backwards. I feel like I feel like you're just you we just won a hundred and one wins. We had a hundred and one wins and and out of in a team that felt like a failure, a hundred and one wins, and we're now saying let's get an old Justin Verlander, a Carlos Rodon who had a great season last year, but again, we don't really know. He definitely was opting out, which might be you never know. The walk years always do something different, a la Aaron Judge. Listen. I, I don't want to mess around with that. If you told me Jacob DeGrom's coming back and guess who's interested in coming to the New York Mets, Justin Verlander, I'd say, okay, that's it. That That's interesting to me. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be in a platoon for one year. Remember, here's the thing, Evan, I'm looking at it in a very small, realistic window. This team has about three years left max, maybe two years left max of, of a run with this squad. This team is not going to be a. Re- this team is not going to look the same in three years. It's just not. But by, 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 by the way, I want to make something clear. I don't want to do this. This part of the Degrom discussion is he's left. We did everything we could. He's gone. So, like you and I agree. I don't know if everyone agrees who's listening. Maybe you don't. I, I would prefer Jake to come back. But this is the discussion on what this would look like if he's gone. So yes, I want him back. But he's gone. We did everything we could, and he wanted to go to Colorado because Mike Hampton told them he has they have a great school system. And now he's gone. So free agent-wise, and we'll get to the trade targets in a second, the free agent guys that are available that you can sign feature Justin Verlander, features Clayton Kershaw, features <laughs> Tyler Anderson, features Carlos Radon, features, uh, I think, Jameson Tyone is a free agent, Nate Valdi. Yeah, guys on that garbage. level. It's garbage. Well, it's, it's not it's nothing that you want to say. Listen, there's no one that's feel there's no one first of all, if you say DeGrom is the one and Scherzer the two, there's no one that's replacing DeGrom. It's like, okay, who's behind Scherzer? Or but really there's no one there, so it's more like who's repl- who's going to fit in as a 3. That's right. that's the best because Verland is sure, but at this age it's like Tom Brady at any day can go away. I can't buy into yeah. it. Well, you're you're no longer basically what you're doing is you're no longer building around the two ace format like the Scherzer Degrom one two. Now you're not. Now you're building around. All right, Scherzer's the ace. Let's build a solid rotation around him. Here's where things get more interesting. Some of these are made up in my own mind. Some of them are based on reality, and those are trade targets because the trade targets are going to be more interesting. They're going to be more appealing. Those are the free agents. We all can look them up. We all know who's out there. It's not a great list, okay? It's just not. It's what I just told you. Verlander is, whether we like it or not, the best available starting pitcher on the market after Jacob DeGrom. He unless, unless unless Nola somehow gets uh, the Phillies decide to to, uh, to not pick up the option for $12 million. Yeah, but that's not happening. <laughs> oh, Nola's, that, that option's being picked up. Aaron Nola's back with the Philadelphia Phillies. So that one's out the window. I wish Zach Wheeler was a free agent. He's not. We got to wait two more years for a crack to right the wrong of the Wilpons. So one guy I'll bring up is very unrealistic. Just want to mention it because you can never trust the Marlins, and that's Sandy Alcantara. Um, 
he has one of the great contracts you'll ever see right now. He is signed to an incredibly team-friendly trade. He's 27 years old. In fact, let me give you this contract just so you have an idea. The man who's going to win the Cy Young this year is due to make $6 million next year. Six. He'll be 27. The year after that, he'll make $9 million. Then he gets a bump, big bump. He goes up to 17, 17, and then in 2027 at 31 years old, there's a club option that they most certainly will pick up at $21 million. So you have Alcantara signed for five more years at an affordable amount of money. The reason I bring his name up is not that the Marlins should have any reason to trade him. In fact, it's a disgrace to trade him. I really do. If they are big on, hey, let's trade guys when their value is high, they could get a ransom for Sandy Alcantara. I'd argue they'd get more for him than the Angels would get for Shohei Otani. Otani's a free agent at the end of the year. I mean, you're still renting a guy for one year with the uncertainty of his future. Sandy Alcantara is this unicorn in that the Marlins signed him. I give them credit. They had the foresight of locking him up before he became the best pitcher in the National League who's reliable. That's how I would phrase it because he's out there every five days. I I think, A, the Marlins aren't trading him now. They'll trade him eventually because that's what the Marlins do. It won't be this year. And, B, I don't think they would do it inside the division. I know they've made deals inside the division. I know they have. I don't know about this one. I think this one they would stay away. So Alcantara's name. Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, (laughs) Ronnie Mauricio, you name it, let's go. I'm well, all you, in. Well, you left out Alvarez. You know, want to trade Francisco? Well, listen, it depends on if the what we get in the free agency. Is anybody available? <laughs> <laughs> all right, number two, this guy's going to be traded. He's going to be traded maybe not this year, but definitely next year. And that man is Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, they are a disgrace to baseball. They don't spend money. While simpletons will bitch that MLB deserves a salary cap, What they don't realize is they're owned by a billionaire. And so I have no compassion for that. Go spend money. And they don't. Now, they locked in Jose Ramirez on an incredibly team-friendly deal. That's great. I don't know if they're going to get that out of Bieber. So Bieber's got two more years left uh, under team control of Cleveland. And if you're Cleveland, you have to decide this offseason, hey, we had a good year. We won over 90 games. We got to the playoffs. That was cool. This could be the moment. Bieber had a good year. Remember, he won the Cy Young during the shortened season. He's healthy. He's still only 27 years old. He's got two years of control. So you can kind of build in the other small market teams that may say, hey, we're close. Let's trade for Bieber, even if we have no intention of giving him a mega contract in two years. So I think it's possible Bieber's available. I don't, if it's not this year, it's next year. Like they, they will trade him. I doubt Cleveland. And, and if you don't believe me, look at their history. Look at, look at their history of young pitchers. Did they lock up CC Sabathia? Did they lock up Cliff Lee? They don't tend to lock up their young arms. And maybe they're smart for doing that. If they're going to act like a small market team, do you really want to lock in arms where it can go bad real quick? Totally get the risk on that. I guess what it comes down to is, let's say Bieber's available. Are you willing to unload the system? You know, you just mentioned Beatty, Vientos, Alvarez. Like, are you willing to give up a mega package 
when the Mets do need to fill some spots out internally with prospects, like we're writing Alvarez's name in down right now as a starting catcher. We're thinking about it. Are you willing to go out and make a trade for a Shane Bieber? And then obviously the big one. Why ignore it? It's Shohei Otani. I do believe the Mets will target him. I do believe that at the end of next year, they will be one of the huge bidders for Shohei. Again, comes down to the same question. Are you willing to give up key young pieces for not a rental? Because I do think the Mets would be aggressive in resigning him, but for a guy that you could simply sign a year from now. Do you gain an advantage by trading for Otani today? Now, you do give yourself a year of him extra as opposed to waiting until free agency. But the scary part about trading for Otani, the scary part about trading for Bieber, the scary part about trading for Alcantara if he ever became available is that the return is your farm system. All of it. You know what I mean? Like the return is not a prospect, not two prospects, but all of your prospects. And that is why we go back to the beginning. You spend whatever it takes to keep Jake. Because if you are listening to this podcast saying, I don't really want to keep Jacob to ground. I'm painting you the world we'd be in if you lose him. Signing Tyler Anderson, signing Justin Verlander, signing Carlos Rodon. And then, okay, I, I don't want those guys. I want those guys trading top prospects for a Shane Bieber. Like, I'd love Shane Bieber. I'd love Sandy Alcantara. I'd love Shohei Otani. But it is nice to think that the Mets could fill two or three positions internally from young prospects that could turn out to be the next stars of this franchise. I'm not a prospect hugger, but these guys we're talking about aren't just prospects. They're guys who could be everyday players for this team next year. It's not like we're talking about a single-A player who, who may be here in three years. We're not talking about my man Jet Williams. We're talking about guys that could have pivotal roles on the 2023 New York Mets. So I know it's up to him. I know it's up to his wife. But I believe it's imperative for Steve Cohen to make the decision as difficult as humanly possible. And that is paying Jacob DeGrom a king's ransom so that he doesn't leave. It's worth it on every level. And I hope to do it. And I hope it ends quick. Either put us out of our misery negatively or give us what we want. And that's Jacob DeGrom as a career New York Met. Hopefully we convinced everybody. On the next edition of Rico Bronia, a little, a little uh, tore down memory lane. The worst ways New York Met seasons have ended. We rank them one through eight. That's right, eight. Every way a Met season has ended where the season ended with the final game of the year. Obviously, there were plenty of seasons that ended in June. Plenty of seasons that were over in April. Hello, 1993. But no, no, no. We're talking about when season ended, seasons ended on the very last day. I'll put together my rankings. Hoff will put together his rankings, and we'll hear from you. Also, we've got more off-season podcasts, including an entire podcast dedicated to Brandon Nimmo and Edwin Diaz. We gave a podcast to Jake. We'll give an entire podcast to both Diaz and Nimmo, who obviously are huge free agents going into this off-season. So a lot to do on Rico Bronia. 
Make sure you're listening to Hoff. He's producing Tiki and Tierney, where he will rub in the fact that the New York Yankees daddies are named the Houston Astros. I'll be with Craig at two o'clock Monday through Friday. And it's just a coincidence, obviously. But there's this one shirt I keep wearing every day because it's so comfortable. It happens to look eerily similar to the colors of the Houston Astros. But I promise you, it's just a coincidence. It's just really comfortable. Thank you for listening to this edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 